Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And today we are continuing our entrepreneur experience segment with one of my favorite people. So today I'm joined by Mr. Tom Cook, who was former military. He retired from the Air Force after about 24 years of service and decided that being an entrepreneur sounded like a great idea. And so he's here today to share with us his experience and share with us Spacely, which is a gig work platform that he is bringing to the military and specifically space. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Tom Cook. Thank you, Cynthia. <laughs> great to be here. You're welcome. It's great to have you. I'm so excited for this conversation. So why don't you just start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and how you became an entrepreneur? <laughs> All right. Well, as, uh, as you mentioned, you know, I spent 24 years in the Air Force. Um, so, you know, coming out of high school as a you know 17 year old kid right into the military, right, and did not expect to stay in that long, <laughs> but just kept having great opportunities. Went to the Air Force Academy, flew uh, jets, then stopped flying and went into space systems. Uh, started flying spacecraft uh, for the Air Force, and uh, just had a, a blast doing all that stuff. And when I was wrapped up and uh, done with the career. I uh, was kind of looking at what the next steps were. And a lot of folks like us, you know, we, we have our clearance, we have our experience and, you know, you go into consulting or you go right back into the aerospace industry. And, and for me, that was just not exactly what I wanted to do. When I met my wife in, in LA, uh, her family uh, were all entrepreneurs. Uh, her father was a music writer and a comedy writer for shows in LA and Nashville. Her mom was a real estate agent. And uh, it was very different from our family's background, which we were kind of more of the, the blue collar lunchbox crew, right? We always had a, a yeah. nine to five. We always had a, a boss and we always had a, a schedule. And uh, it was fascinating to me uh, when I met her and her family. I was like, how do you, how, what do you mean you don't have to ask anyone for permission to, you know, visit us? <laughs> <laughs> So, so that was that was just uh, that their whole family was uh, structured that way, and it was my first kind of uh, insight into you know people that were working uh, on their own terms and for themselves in the best way that met uh, what what their needs were, and and so that was you know as we came back here to Denver from Denver from L.A., uh, my wife wanted to open a, a kickboxing studio, so she's always had an entrepreneurial spirit you know, from her family. And so we, we did that together. Uh, it took about six months to get that all squared away here in Denver at Stanley marketplace. And it's been uh, successful in spite of a pandemic. And, um, <laughs> and, and as we kind of got that opening going and, and getting that up on its uh, legs, I said, you know, that this, this is something I really enjoy. I enjoy creating something from nothing. Uh, that space we uh, started with at Stanley Marketplace was a conference room before we turned it into a kickboxing studio, and and seeing you know trying to have a vision 
transforming that vision into reality, executing on that and getting to a point where, you know, we were open and, and accepting customers. It was an exciting journey. And so I was ready to do more. And, uh, and so as I was thinking about my consulting uh, opportunities, I looked at it and said, you know, I think there's, you know, if I just hire five people or 10 people or 100 people, uh, that's not quite the same. And people have kind of done that. And, um, and, and, and it's great that, you know, folks have done it. But I said, I, I'd like to try to build something, right, um, other than just not just a company, right? There's, there's great parts of building a company and, and building a team and, and, uh, and having the team work on something together. But I was fascinated by uh, tech. We integrated technology into my wife's uh, kickboxing studio with sensors, uh, wrapping the heavy bags and brought a technology element. And obviously I was a, you know, I was a, a big tech geek in the Air Force uh, because we were always working on new technologies and launching those into space. And so, you know, looking into what I wanted to do and build, you know, uh, going forward, just said, hey, I think there's a, a platform play here for what I want to do in the aerospace industry and connecting people with opportunities uh, like I was seeing and, um, and, and, and then started kind of figuring out how I would go about that journey. So that was really kind of the going into the military, kind of blue collar background, working, you know, shift work and according to other people's schedule, uh, seeing my wife and her family and then kind of joining her in that entrepreneurial journey um, kind of a, as a family thing now. I love that. And tell us a little bit about Spacely. Like, what inspired you to to want to bring sort of this gig work platform concept to an industry that historically just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, tell us a little bit about sort of the evolution of Spacely and how you came up with that. Yeah. So as I was um, researching, you know, what I wanted to be in my next form of life, <laughs> I, um, I came across a book uh, just kind of randomly. It was called Reimagining Work, written by Rob Biederman, uh, Princeton and Harvard Business School grad. And um, in the story just struck me in the book, which there was a couple elements. One was he uh, his idea for creating a a gig platform for management consultants coming out of you know McKinsey and Bain and BCG uh, was kind of along the same lines as uh, that story as I was seeing at SpaceX. Right, there was a lot of exciting, rewarding, um, very well compensated work being done, uh, but people were really, really working hard, eighty to hundred hour work weeks to oh, yeah. part of that. And you know, during life for everyone, you know, priorities shift. It could be because of family, kids, um, other opportunities. You may want to move. And, you know, this is back in 2017. Uh, so remote work was kind of in full swing. But when I started reading, you know, other pieces of this, and it, it was beyond just, you know, getting away from, you know, the, the grind of a, of a really challenging job and taking a, break, a breather, right, and then coming and jumping back in. He, he took it a step further and was talking about restructuring work altogether. And it was the first time I really thought about, well, that would, that's fascinating, of how you would structure work differently than nine to five and 40 hour work weeks with one employer. And, and so I really dove into that research uh, about what other platforms were out there, uh, who was making money on these platforms, how were they structuring work? And it was really that start in my journey to see that um, folks were really interested in optional and flexible work arrangements. And of course that ended up being accelerated more so by the pandemic uh, as we're seeing now. But um, that was really what got us started in, in that idea of, you know, being able to bring these opportunities and people together and make them match in new ways uh, that were best suited in an open 
you know, free marketplace uh, where people can make the decisions that were best for, you know, each side of the, of the interaction. I love that. I think that's awesome. Tell us, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, um, and I've always used, you know, these things and maybe it's just because I've been in the military and in the military, we always taught, we talked about embrace the suck. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, I think it was in, ingrained in me in my military career that, you know, it's not always going to be an easy road and uh, and you can you can either complain about it or you can embrace it. And, uh, and and part of the enjoyable part of, you know, building something new is, you know, taking on that challenge, you know, head first and um and for some of us like me, I like to just ram my head through the wall and, and break glass and other people go about it more methodically. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. But uh, <laughs> it, it, but um, it, it really is, you know, I always talked about, you know, one of the things I've, I've lived by and I try to teach more kids, you know, is perse- perseverance prevails when all else fails. You know, and at a certain point, you know, you're going to realize whether or not the the concept's going to work out and if you need to pivot totally or just say, hey, I gave it my best shot. Um, and, and really, you know, that was kind of my approach in the military. We always knew that, you know, we ultimately signed the dotted line that we are willing to, you know, give our life in uh, in, in cause of this nation, this great this great country. And, and so, you know, to me, it, it, it wasn't necessarily life and death. I mean, it is serious, you know, work uh, for folks that are trying to make um, ends meet. They're trying to maybe do a side job. They're trying to stay engaged uh, in their own way when they may have other um, competing requirements or, you know, some things that are uh, challenging them uh, in traditional employment, you know, uh, that doesn't allow them to, to be traditionally employed. But um, at the end of the day, I, I guess because of my military service, I you know, I, I knew in all likelihood I wasn't signing my my life away in that same way. <laughs> and so I, I just embrace the suck and say, hey, you know, I'm learning in this whole thing. And and if I can, just like in the military, we always felt like if we could have one um, positive, you know, we want to build on each one of those positives. Like if we had a, a positive impact on one person, great. That's You have to start there and then have a positive mm. impact on the next person and the next, you know, challenge. And so that's kind of the approach we've taken. Yeah, I love that. And what do you think is the most important like quality or personality trait or characteristic that somebody has to have to be successful as an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one because I think there's so many different elements, right? Now and you know, as you are look as you as an entrepreneur, you're looking around at other folks and you, you have that that envy sometimes and you don't recognize what it took to get to that successful spot, right? Um, their overnight success uh, was uh, rewarded by the 10 yar- years of hard work that you didn't see before. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I really think that, you know, I, I, I try to have um, humility uh, and, and being humble and knowing that I'm not the smartest person. I try to bring uh, other uh, people and energy uh, to the problems uh, and, and really um, be transparent and collaborative in how we approach, you know, the the challenges or the opportunities that are in front of us and, and know there's probably not one best answer. 
but you're making the best decision with the information you have at that time. Um, so I don't ever like to second guess. Um, and I guess that, that's, again, from our time in the military, we would do a lot of planning. You know, we would plan our, our, our flight operations before we'd fly the next day. We'd have debriefs after the fact, um, after we, we got back down on the ground. And, um, and, and so you would have learning, but you wouldn't have regret, right? Uh, unless mm, there was, yeah. yeah. So th- there was something about that that I think is also really important in this journey, which is, you know, you have the highs and the lows, and um, and all of that is you're you're trying to do your strategic planning, your road mapping, and then as you're executing, you know, giving yourself an opportunity to debrief and, and learn from it along the way, and be humble enough to to know you don't have all the answers, and uh, and have a team that can help you and, and bring that energy and that, that positive, um, you know, enthusiasm that's required to take on a, a challenge like, like this type of journey. Yeah, I love that answer. And it's funny because you talk about the the overnight success, and I'm putting that in quotes, right? Uh, on one, one of the uh, guests that I had recently was talking about how he heard Amazon described as the overnight success at one point. And he was like, does no one remember the early 90s when this dude had like this crazy idea about selling books online? <laughs> 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 not overnight, like not overnight. Oh, man, that's funny. So I want I want to give you a statistic and then I want you to tell me sort of what you think about that, you know, in light of your own journey and what you've seen, okay? All right, 42% of startups ultimately fail because no one wants what they're building. Yeah, it's um it, it's a hard fact, right? And it is borne out by <laughs> reality. <laughs> and you know, this is you know, everyone has an idea, right? And um and everyone, and we should, we should all have ideas. And I, you know, we've caught it in, in, the, in our support to a NASA contract. We talk about, you know, being globally competitive and we talk about entrepreneurial warfare, right? And, mm. um, and, and what that means to us is, you know, letting the free market speak. And we think that that's better uh, approach than uh, being told what to think, right? You know, we're, we're trying to teach each other how to think, how to solve complex problems and challenges. And this is really one of the challenges I see in, in our industry is we have a lot of smart people uh, with a brilliant, amazing ideas um, and brilliant technologies, right, that can be truly yeah. transformative, but they don't necessarily um, close on their business case because maybe it's a little too nascent or it's not the right time. And we've seen that all along in, in the journey in aerospace where some things, you know, we come back to them 20 years later because we're like, all right, now we've got what we can do, right? So, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, timing to me is some element of that as well, which is maybe your idea uh, doesn't suck, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just a matter of are you able to get all those things to line up um, and, and maybe it's not the right time uh, in in the trajectory, right? And, and that's hard, and, but I guess, you know, in today's terminology, that's why people talk about pivots, right? And they talk about MVP yeah. and learning for the, you know, lowest cost possible before, you know, going on to the next thing. And you hear serial entrepreneurs, you know, different terminology that kind of defines some of this stuff. And you don't really hear, uh, you know, serial failure, pe- you know, people that are failing, you know, <laughs> multiple businesses. That's not, that's not on their LinkedIn profile. But uh, I, I think that's sort of like what serial entrepreneur means usually, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we joke about that too. When you see like ex Google and ex Apple and ex Facebook on people's LinkedIn profile, does that mean that they were really good, or they just keep getting fired? You know, by these really good companies. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, That's I think hilarious. it's um, you know, I I just think the the data is important. It does bear out um, historically, but that doesn't mean you don't give your level best, right? I mean, if you know, yeah. if, if you know, if you want to go out there and give it a shot, what we said, you know, for our family and for our business, um, which are two separate things and entities, obviously, you know, we looked at it and said, what are we willing to lose, right? Um, mm. If we're willing to bet on ourselves. Uh, this is a great time in a, in a transition period for us to do it, right? Which was me leaving the military. I think people are seeing that now in the pandemic. Hey, this is a great time for me to try something, right? Yep. And, and I think that's great. I think it is. I think um, I was I was given some great advice um, by a mentor saying, hey, in this transition period, give yourself the gift of time, right? To kind of think through this and don't jump in head first, uh, whether that's employment, traditional employment or, or entrepreneurship. Um, yep. and, and so I love that advice of giving yourself the gift of time, Kind of think through uh, where you want to go, and then really lay down what are you willing to lose, right? You know, we we put our own mm. money in this company, um, but we didn't put everything. And and I think that's kind of the uh, you know a myth that's got to be out there that was both in Hollywood when I was in L.A. and in the business. Like you've got to you know be willing to give up everything, right? And and live in your garage or give up you know give you know whatever dirty job you got to do to show that you're willing to give up everything for the dream. Um, that's just mm. not realistic, especially for entrepreneurs like us that are, you know, like me and, you know, in middle age that has a family and a home and other things that we're also trying to uh, protect. <laughs> middle age? Yeah. You're not <laughs> yeah. that old, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Maybe that's the entrepreneur uh, <laughs> track. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel older. <laughs> that's right. You age like 15 years for every regular human's one year. Yeah, it's like being it's a It's like dog. the reverse of dog yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Spacely is in an interesting space right now where you are in the gig economy, you are in the open talent marketplace space, and you mentioned the pandemic and how that's sort of like this really great opportunity for people to sort of like recalibrate or figure out what they want to do next. And we're seeing this like mass exodus from traditional work and, and specifically from like large companies. And one of the uh, guests that I had on my show a couple weeks ago shared with us that back in the 80s, eight out of 10 employees were employed by the large, you know, the big, the, the Inc. 100, I think it was. And now only two out of 10 are actually employed by a large company and everybody else is employed either by a small business or they're an entrepreneur themselves or a startup. And so I just wonder, like, what what do you think about that? And is that how, you know, did you see this trend kind of starting? And, and is that how you kind of came up with this idea? You know, we have a large part of our audience that maybe they have had an idea or they would love to be an entrepreneur, but they're like, how do you... How does inspiration strike? You know? <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's personal, right? I think it's um, you know I was told uh, by my grandfather who worked for AT and T for over thirty years, right, through the seventies and eighties. So one of the data, early data points you're talking about, and he always told me buy stocks and stuff that you buy, right? And, and I felt like that mm. equates to business as well, which is you know um, follow. There's something about following your your energy and your your passion, enthusiasm for something, and, and bearing that out. You know, for this inspiration, it struck. It was personal. When I retired, I you know as I mentioned, we we've, we've got uh, you know two school age daughters, and you know I, I didn't want to. My only criteria when I got out was I didn't want to have to ask someone else for permission to go do. Uh, the activities that they had like at school and sports and 
arts and you know dances and stuff and that was one of my biggest frustrations as they were younger was missing those things and, and sacrificing mm. and i get that there's something about um the american culture and saying hey that's part of it you know we're gonna you know we're gonna sacrifice certain things to you know make a, um, a better life for the next generation but I feel like the balance was tipping too far um, in corporate America, and there was not that recognition that folks were fractional in a lot of different ways as a as a spouse or as a you know sibling or you know parent, and um, yeah. and I think there's that recognition that hey there's new there's new technologies new tools to the point I was making earlier that maybe everybody always wanted to do this, but there wasn't as many routes and pathways for them to uh, go about it, and they were willing to give up or they had to give up more in that um, in that transaction because there just weren't as many uh, you know tools available to them to create some of the you know optionality and flexibility we're seeing these days and um, so but that was that was really where this inspiration struck for me was hey I got to figure out how I stay engaged in stuff that I'm really enthusiastic and passionate about but in a more balanced uh, approach and manner where you know, I, I can also have say of, you know, whether or not I, you know, I do stuff with my family and, and it's, it's, it's still tough, right? I mean, as an entrepreneur, um, I saw this with my wife's business as she started and, you know, I kind of laughed at her unfortunately at the beginning and then I, <laughs> I was like, why are you thinking about this at eight or nine o'clock at night? Let's, you know, sit down and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> and, and then I get into this and I'm like, gosh, you know, two in the morning, you're, you're popped up with an idea and you're like, all right. Yeah. So it does sometimes, you know, you, if you don't watch it, it can, you know, become all encompassing just like your, your traditional job for somebody else was. Right. But I think where a lot of this stuff is going, and we've talked about this with the NASA team is this tension between platforms and people. Do platforms need people or do people need platforms? And that's brands, that's companies, uh, that's technology. And and you see a constant tension of, you know, who's extracting value from who and who's gaining value from who. And there's going to be, uh, through a free market, uh, this constant push to see, um, you know, where that balance falls in favor. And it's always going to be working towards equilibrium. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do see this kind of sense in, you know, um, who needs who more and uh, in creating the opportunities. And, and what you're seeing with um, some of the workforce is they're saying, I don't need you in this way, right? If you, can yeah. find, if you can find me where I'm at and meet me where I'm at and find me in this way, more than happy to work with you. And that's what some of the gig companies talk about. They say, and I, and I like how they say it is, you know, you don't want to work for the company. You want to work with the company. And, yeah. um, and, that, and that's a major shift, right? And there's a, the second one we talk about that we've uh, written about as well is there's a difference in our uh, terminology between talent acquisition and talent mm. access. And I think mm. we're moving further away from talent acquisition because that means that you're, you're acquired by the entity, the corporation. And I think people recognize um, that there's uh, maybe more to, uh, to life than being acquired by a company. But access uh, talent by that company to us is a, is a completely different model. We don't typically think of the military or think of NASA or, you know, some of these larger government agencies as open to something as uh, I'm going to say newfangled and modern, right? I mean, I mean, you think, you think about government, you think about it's very staid and it's very like kind of stuck in the mire. So, is there opportunity there? I mean, obviously you're building a company around that very hypothesis, but how, what does it take to shift 
the mindset of a 200 year old entity like a government or or you know even a 50 or 60 year old entity like nasa i guess it's actually more than that but yeah no it's a it's a great question and i think that we're you know a lot of folks talk about you know either disrupt or be disrupted and we've seen it mm-hmm. you know in, in software eating the world and I think the government is recognizing now and, you know, it, it really started shifting in the late 90s, and early 2000s that they just weren't keeping pace with the commercial sector. Now, they were doing some incredible things, you know, with technology. There's no question about it, right? They advanced so much stuff to get us even to the point where we had the Internet. And it was the government that provided that in the first place. And and so there's amazing uh you know, scientific knowledge, technological knowledge, uh, really smart globally elite um, smarts, right, in some of these organizations. Uh, But they have a challenge with, um, you know, with the ability to move uh, at the pace now of technological change. And you see it in regulation, Mm -hmm. you see it in adoption, uh, you see it in the recognition that, hey, why don't we have some of these capabilities that are available commercially? Um, and, and there's, again, that natural tension of, well, what should we be doing as a government and what should we be relying on the commercial sector to provide? Mm. Um, NASA was such a refreshing client to work with. Um, after working in the Air Force and, and what is now the Space Force uh, element of the Air Force um, for my entire career, we, we had really, really smart people working on really hard problems. And, and when we start working with NASA, it was the same way. It was that same recognition. You have a lot of really smart people working on really hard problems but NASA was interesting. They said, you know, we, we don't have a monopoly on all the smart people and all the hard problems and all the solutions to those. And we need to figure out how we can take our brand, right? Um, and we always talk about the NASA brand. You go, you know, walk around a shopping mall or park. There's always someone wearing a NASA shirt or, or hat or something. And they didn't work for NASA. But, boy, the, the brand affinity is there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So NASA wanted to tap into that and say, hey, we've got a lot of citizen scientists. We've got a lot of people that are energetic and enthusiastic about our brand. How do we tap into that? And and they started doing you know crowd building and crowdsourcing and challenges uh, to bring in citizen scientists and the public's uh, you know uh, solutions into some of NASA's challenges. And they extended that now into what they call micro purchasing and micro tasks, which is why we got involved was because you know now we're talking about okay, you know we don't have a company yet or um, you know a, a concrete business case, but in order to build it, we're going to need access to some of this you know uh, human capital. And I yeah. need like the the expertise of planetary scientists that are sitting around here, and it's hard to find them. So if you can aggregate all those folks, you know, in a community where it makes it easier for us to find them when needed, then we can we can have a speed dial uh, to get to those folks. So you know, I think the the government is definitely uh, challenging to to work with, and and being somebody mm. came from that government uh, organization understands the complexities of contracting with them and the federal acquisition regulations, which is a whole set of different rules <laughs> of you know, acquiring services and goods. Is that um, Latin for red tape? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, there's some things they have to do, right? I mean, they're getting funded by the taxpayers. So they can't just be going out and spending money, you know, money just, uh, you know, on anything, right? And they have to have some accountability back to the authorization appropriation of those those dollars. But on the flip side of that, you know, if you're not trying to maximize your return on investment of those dollars, you're also harming the taxpayer money that's coming in mm. as well. So yeah. you, you've got to really look at, you know, ba- balancing uh, those efforts and saying, can we do things better where we can continue to improve that return on investment that we're entrusted, uh, you know, with the taxpayer money? Uh, 
in 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 balance with I can't go out and spend you know the fifty thousand dollar famous you know gold hammer right so you know <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and so working in that in that area where they're trying to balance all those um, competing requirements uh, is tough but we also they, they're to us they're no different than any other corporation where they require talent they require skills they require energy and enthusiasm towards their mission. And, and they're doing the same thing and trying to recruit people to work with them and for them as any other company. I love that. And so let's talk a little bit about the objections that a company or an entity might have. Like, oh, that gig economy thing, I don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word own my resources or whatever. Like, what are the big sort of blocks to a company really diving in and how, how do you kind of address those or how do you answer those? Yeah, it's, um, I think most of it comes down to, you know, NDAs and OCIs, right? Competitiveness, mm. especially in the aerospace industry where it's hyper competitive. And, um, and I think they look at it and say, well, you know, I don't want them working with, uh, with my competitor, right? I want them locked in. Uh. And, and as soon as they lock them in, we say they start losing um, the talent right away. And, and what we've said is we kind of want them to look at the problem um, completely differently, which is if you look at the data, average adults in a job four years, millennial 18 months, and Gen Z is even quicker. And it's not because, you know, they suck at holding jobs like the older generations were saying initially, right, when we started. <laughs> <laughs> it was because they, they grow up with different expectations of what they're going to do. And, and they don't have, you know, I always say I think one major change that created some of this mobility was when we went away from pensions, you know, corporate provided pensions to, to rolling over 401ks, that created incentive, a different incentive structure, right? My grandfather, as I mentioned, worked mm. for AT&T for 30 years. He didn't always love it, but he also knew at the end of it, you know, if he could, you know, suck it up, right? Embrace the suck. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be rewarded. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's pros and cons to that, you know, that structure. But what I tell, you know, Lockheed and Boeing and Raytheon when I talk to them is, you know, if you look at that data with the mobility of the people, you have to account for those folks leaving for some reason at some point, right? And it could be 18 mm. months to four years. And you're investing in those people in some way, building their skills, building experience, building the knowledge, compensating them, investing in them. And right now you're letting them walk out the door because you're maintaining a binary decision whether they're employed mm. or not. And so we've seen this already, which is, hey, someone left, you know, BAE and they've gone to another company and BAE still wants to have access to them, right? Because BAE didn't get a backfill, right? right. Um, and so why would you let that investment walk out the door? Why not figure out how to uh, manage the friction uh, that exists and, and not maintain a binary decision of, you know, that you're an employee or not and maintain access to that investment um, as, as people continue to, you know, stack and build their credentials and their portfolio, and, and if you look at it too, the other industries are, are ahead of us in aerospace for sure, where you know they're working simultaneously for multiple companies that could be seen as competitors, and, and they're figuring it out, and they're also working cross industries. And in aerospace, to us, we think you're we're losing out on some of that um, structured serendipity, as, as our board advisor Diane Finkhausen calls it, which is finding some of those solutions that reside outside the industry, being, being able to have a pathway to bring those people and solutions in. And vice versa. We have a lot of great ideas in aerospace as well that can support these other industries. So we're just, you know, for us, it's about opening up new pathways uh, for that, for those um, interactions uh, to occur. Okay. I love that. I love that. 
So have you been to space? <laughs> no, no, I, um, well, this is a podcast, so I can't show you my rocket that uh, the team got me, but uh, <laughs> I, I did say if I don't make it, you know, uh, before I, 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 uh, I, I pass on to the, the next life, there's uh, SpaceX at one point I talked about, you could be cremated and be put into this, you know, canister. And then as they, <laughs> as they launch a rocket, they'll tell your family when to look up in the, in the you know, sky and it'll look like a shooting star with the canister flying across. So I thought, well, if that's, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I thought if, uh, if I don't get up there before then, um, you know, maybe that'll happen. The, the exciting thing for me, and this is one of the reasons we started Spacely because we did see, you know, such growing uh, private investment going into the space economy we saw the future of work um, trends with optionality flexibility, and we wanted to be at the intersection of that. What's really kind of exciting to me personally is I'm getting now personally closer to people that are going to space, right? Mm -hmm. My network that I've always had are now getting opportunities, right? I always thought, and I'm seeing this too, I've got friends that are, you know, uh, existing, you know, politicians or running for office. Uh, and, yeah. and we always kind of figured that would happen with some of the folks that went to the Air Force Academy and Naval sure. Academy and West Point. But what's exciting now is the folks that, you know, we are flying with, you know, starting out in gliders at the Air Force Academy and the folks that really dreamt about going to space, are we're starting to see more of those opportunities. I, Andre Douglas uh, was at Johns Hopkins. He and I were talking about entrepreneurship together before he got selected in the latest astronaut class. Uh, another academy person was just um, uh, named one of the lead um, for the new Polaris Dawn program. So Jared Isaacman uh, to wow. do three uh, star, uh, SpaceX launches uh, culminating in the first human launch with uh, Starship. Um, and so, boy, how exciting is that for me and my personal network that that's getting that close now? It's, that's what we were really excited about when we were starting this journey anyway. Is that something you would love to do? Like yeah, the my opportunity? My, my, I think my kids are okay with it, and but my wife is really uh, hesitant. Uh, it, some days, some days she sounds like it sounds like it's probably okay for me to <laughs> go, go off into space. But uh, yeah, no, I think I, you know one thing that I would just that I've heard from all the astronauts um, that I've talked to and, and that I've read uh, you know from as well, which is uh, you know that overview effect. You know, seeing our pale blue dot, you know, the Earth hanging in the balance of the galaxy, right? I think that would be a super cool thing to see. You know, I think about Felix Baumgartner uh, with Red Bull when he, you know, uh, did the highest, uh, you know, balloon jump. Um, Space Perspective is a high-altitude balloon company that wants to provide uh, passengers, you know, that overview effect as well. Um, I think in our lifetime, I hope in our lifetime, I, I certainly start to see the increasing numbers uh, of folks that are going to have an opportunity to get that and. And I do think that that would be super cool to kind of see Earth from that perspective. Wow. Yeah. It, I have that recurring dream where I'm like up in space and then I realize I'm like floating away and not attached to anything. And I'm like, huh, I wonder how long my oxygen's going to last. It's just like this big black void, right? <laughs> but yeah, the I just think so many people, even, you know, in the in previous years, people thought, well, I've got to be an engineer or astronaut to take part in this even though they had the same dreams as you and I did, you know, looking at the stars differently, having dreams about it, you know, and, and thinking about it. And, and it takes someone like a visionary like Elon Musk to come out and say, well, why are we, why are we dreaming about it? And talk about entrepreneurship, right? And how hard it's a journey yeah. it's been for him. You know, that didn't start off easily either. I mean, he had to sue the Air Force to work with them. I mean, how many times yeah. do you sue a client so you can work with them, right? <laughs> That's not a strategy we recommend yeah, usually. Is that, is that a, part of the startup therapy couch? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, it takes it takes the dreamers and um, and boy, space really 
that really encourages people to dream, you know, and, and I think that what we want to show is we may not get there, right, in our, personally to space. We may dream about it continually, but wouldn't it be nice if we can continue to increase opportunities to participate in some meaningful way and feel tangentially connected to it and, and saying, hey, I'm participating in that and it's not just for, you know, a, a smaller subset of, you know, the population. I, I, that's what we're also excited about with what we're doing at Spacely. Yeah, I love that. If you could give other entrepreneurs or other, you know, soon to be or would like to be entrepreneurs a piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> yeah, you're going to have highs and lows. There's no question. We, you know, as you know, we had such excitement as a brand new company forming specifically to respond to the NASA contract opportunity, well, you know, as a team and, and as our team to get selected, um, you know, just a, sh a few short months later. Uh, that's a huge early win for a startup, right? And mm -hmm. and you're going to have wins, and then you think I'm going to have the next win right behind that, and it doesn't come, and and you think I'm <laughs> I'm still going to get the next win. It's going to be right any time now, and it still doesn't come. And, and you know everyone wants to move quick, and um, and you know we we look at it and we say, okay, what is that learning that's occurring during this time? But you know you're going to get discouraged because you're going to say, ah, someone else is doing this, and they're beating me to the punch, or you know, they're going to do it better. We're not doing enough, right? And we need to work harder. Um, all those things creep into your mind along the journey, right? And with those highs and lows. And and I really think, um, you know, you really need to think about your, your mental health, um, you know, how you structure, you know, your your day and your, your, your work. And, you know, I was in the military, so I'm very, I'm a very structured person. But my structure changes routinely, if that makes sense, right? And, and yeah. I don't know how to best explain that, but sometimes working a certain way is, is more beneficial. And I look at how, you know, that, that impacts me and my family and what I want to do in my downtime. Um, other times I structure, you know, differently. And, and I think that's some of the benefit of, of being entrepreneurs. You're, you're trying to always give your best and you have to know yourself um, and, and know when you need to kind of um, take a breath when you go fully in and then, you know, constantly um, evaluating, you know, kind of that, uh, that pacing, that structure and, uh, and manipulating in a way that still allows you to give it your best, you know, through those highs and lows. Yeah. So it's possible to be an entrepreneur and have a life. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, that's, that's kind of a myth sometimes like, yeah, I'm going to go do this on my own. And, you know, um, you don't recognize how hard that is. And, and you think, yeah, I did this because I want to have a life, you know, and, and I want to make a living on my own terms. Um, I think that's why we're seeing, you know, um, some of this adoption of these open talent marketplaces is because people want to work on their own terms, but they also don't recognize how difficult it is to bring those opportunities forward. Right. Mm, and so if someone yeah. else is helping them in the, you know, bring those opportunities forward, they can just focus on the work and still do it on their own way. That goes back to our tension between platforms and people and, you know, what are we doing to help each other? Um, and, and so it'll be interesting in the future as people talk about Web3 and decentralized autonomous organizations. You know, I kind of saw that with Arcade City after Lyft, uh, you know, an Uber left um, Austin, Texas, and now they're back. And, you know, there's this, again, that competing tension of do I need somebody else to help me with the opportunities? Can I go get them on my own? Uh, and what's that all mean, you know, as I'm trying to structure all of these things. And, and again, to us, everything's fractional. I, I, all of that comes into account with, you know, fractional income streams, fractional work, fractional play, whatever it is, you know, and, and, and that's going to continue to shift and, and be individualized. And, and that's, I think, the, the takeaway here is, is we're now at a point where 
we have so many more capabilities to allow people to be highly individualized, you know, for their needs at that moment in time. And again, that can shift. So why not take advantage of that as opposed to applying that same vanilla layer across all of us, you know, and trying to make us all fit in that same mold? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, I've been an entrepreneur most most of my career. And I always, you know, every time I get into, you know, a, a big engagement, I always end up getting some kind of a job offer. And I always try and tell people I make a horrible employee, <laughs> like the things that are great about me when I, when we work together in a fractional way or, or uh, you know, in a consultant kind of role, all that stuff sort of like goes away and be, becomes a very different dynamic when when you're employed, you know, and everybody thinks I'm always wrong. And a couple of times I've let some people hire me and then I'm like, 18 months later, I'm like, see, I told you I'm a horrible employee. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I, I think I'm unemployable now as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of the uh, casualties of, of being an entrepreneur is you go, well, can't work for anyone else ever again. <laughs> uh, all right. So in the realm of either entrepreneurship or the the some of the platform stuff you talked about or the open talent marketplace gig economy are there any other resources podcasts books anything like that that you would recommend for our audience if they want to know more yeah i, I was just um recently on another podcast called the ivy podcast um so it's mm -hmm. an ivy league uh, kind of um based one and they bring on some amazing uh discussions and we had kind of a series of three in a row uh, i was on with uh, Rich Wilson from Gig AI and John Younger, who writes about um, open talents and marketplaces and freelancers uh, for Forbes, and he's done a huge research project with the University of Toronto. That's a great resource because John Healy was on before us, and John's been working with Kelly Staffing Group, and now he's working for the Center of Transformation of Work. So that podcast has a couple series right in a row, including one that um, I'm on that really digs uh, a lot deeper into you know freelance open talent marketplace and, and the models that are out there. Um, that, that's a, a great place uh, to start um, is that podcast. Um, I mentioned John Younger with Forbes. Uh, John writes on both sides of you know the platform and the freelance uh, perspective. And so he's got just amazing material uh, and tons of material. You look up John, John Younger um, and, uh, and Forbes and freelance, you'll, you'll get into a treasure trove of, uh, Forbes articles. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we were, and he was kind enough to write one on us early. And, um, so uh, matter of fact, I was, that was a meeting I was on right before this was we're working with a, um, a U.S. financial institution in a study to see what, uh, services and products they could provide to platforms and the freelancers, uh, to help make it easier to be a gig or freelance employee in a professional service environment. Um, so mm. lots of, lots of activity, um, that maybe people aren't aware of going on, um, building out the infrastructure, building out all the underpinning and, and because they're seeing that current is, uh, you know, increasing, uh, rate and, uh, how many people are saying, Maybe it's not full time, but people are dipping their toes in more. There's and there were more people jumping in, you know, the pool, and so a lot more waves <laughs> in the pool. You know, and, and, uh, so people are seeing opportunity, and, and they're also seeing that that's kind of um, some shape of the future of work. It may not wholesale replace traditional employment, but it may uh, uh, more so complement it in, in a lot more ways than what people are thinking about right now. Yeah, it's an interesting point, which is that the dynamic how are how are how are government is structured, how our economy is structured really has been geared towards the employed model for, you know, two centuries since we've been a company or since we've been a country. And so it, it's not just as simple as flipping a switch and, okay, now 
now we have this, there, there's a lot of infrastructure that sort of makes this more difficult, right? Yeah, it's, it's, if you think about it, like AT&T and Verizon laying fiber lines and then building towers, you know, and then you think about what space is doing right now with, you know, global broadband that SpaceX is you know, building and Project Kuiper with Amazon and OneWeb are trying to provide an infrastructure for global broadband connectivity. It's, it's that same thing. You always need infrastructure. And because you're looking at new operating models, you need new uh, infrastructure that allows you to orchestrate different models across that infrastructure. And so, you know, you, you, you have shipping corridors, you have air corridors, you have now space transit uh, to help, you know, different parts of the economy. Cyber, you know, is continually evolving and what the infrastructure is required um, to operate, you know, commerce through the cyber environment. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well... Thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. We have really enjoyed the conversation. Your your knowledge of the platform world as well as like this gig economy and sort of where this is all going, it's fascinating. Plus, I just love that you're a pilot. I mean, I think that's awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, if people had questions, if they wanted to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, well, it would be great if they come visit us at um, spacely.work. Uh, we've set up a community uh, there for everyone that's interested in this. Uh, and it could be future of work. It can be space. It can be any of those things. And we have all kinds of features within the platform. So you can chat with me directly there. You know, pull up my profile just like you would on LinkedIn and chat with me within the platform and within those communities we've set up, uh, you know, wherever you're interested, you know, may lie. And, and that's what we wanted to do first and foremost was show that we, um, we were a welcoming community, we wanted to bring everybody in and show that there was a place for them somewhere, you know, in this, um, in this environment. And so we try to bring all those aspects and elements of, like you were saying, platform, future of work, space, all together, where we can have those different conversations um, in a professional environment um, and, and using those, you know, type of socially familiar types of uh, capabilities, you know, within our platform. So we'd love to see you at Spacely.work and happy to chat with you there. That's awesome. And and just think, you could use your skills as a software developer or a who knows what in space. That's right. Every, forward the space movement. Everyone has got a spot. You know, look at our little trailer on our on our landing page. And we that's been our DNA at the very beginning is trying to show that, you know, there's going to be a spot for you. Uh, we're going to need everyone. If, if we're really going to get a million people to Mars and, you know, go to the moon again and have a space hotel, it's going to require a lot of people to be involved and you know, we, we want we want to encourage that that is that participation. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, we'll make sure to in include a link to Spacely dot work in the show notes so that it's really easy for people to get there. Thank you so much, Tom. We really appreciate you having uh, spending some time with us today and for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with the audience. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's a it's just such great energy to work with you and talk with you, and always appreciate getting to spend some time with you and uh, on on this uh, podcast. Me too. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. All right, y'all. Thank you for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and we will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.
This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.